what I want the dog to understand is that I'm a magician. I can make good stuff happen anytime. I can pull cookies out of the air. I'm Phil Hatterman, and this is Dog Words, presented by Rosie Fund. Today, we welcome animal trainer Trish McMillan. If you're new to this podcast, in each episode, we explore the world of dog care and companionship. We save each other is the motto of Rosie Fund, which simply means the more we do for dogs, the more they do for us, and they already do a lot. If you love dogs, you'll love dog words. We welcome your comments, questions, and suggestions. Go to the podcast page at rosiefund.org to share your thoughts. Thank you to everyone who's downloaded, subscribed, rated, and shared dog words. Now that you're a follower of the podcast, take the next step and become a participant. Let us know what you want to hear. Go to rosiefund.org and send suggestions for topics and guests. Please follow Rosie Fund on social media, especially the free Rosie Fund YouTube channel that offers great videos of Rosie, Peaches, and Shelter Dogs, including some exclusive content. We're also starting to add some of our podcasts to the YouTube channel. If you live in the Kansas City area and would like to host a small and socially distant outdoor concert in your backyard or on your porch, please contact the Wires Duo at gmail.com. If you don't know who the Wires are, that's the alternative string duo you're listening to right now. More information on The Wires is available at thewires.info. The mission of Rosie Fund is to provide humans with the resources and education they need to give senior and harder-to-adopt dogs a better life. We thank you for joining our mission. Today on Dog Words, our guest is Trish McMillan, animal trainer. Welcome to the show, Trish. Thanks for having me. We've had uh, so many adoption episodes and foster episodes and new dog owner. And and every time someone gets a dog, they're a new dog owner, even if they've had a dog before, that this is a unique experience with that dog. So we'd like to get some input from you on how a dog owner, an adopter, or a foster should handle those first few weeks. But before we get to that, could you tell us a little bit about your background and how you became a dog trainer? Well, I went to art school. (laughs) Which is where Um, most dog trainers start. Yeah, first thing you need to do is go to art school. Um, And I worked as an artist for a little while, and I got tired of uh, starving. So I... um, I was a horse person and I wanted to get a dog because horses were too expensive. I went to the shelter and I I just called them and said, what do I need to bring? I'd like to get a dog. This was in the eighties. And they said, Oh, you're a student. We don't adopt to students. So um, don't even bother coming in. So I was like, okay, I guess I can't have a shelter dog. I'm not good enough for a shelter dog. We'd rather euthanize a dog than give it to a student. So don't waste your time coming in. That shelter was actually shut down for hoarding a few years later for having a thousand animals in a space meant for 400, but uh, they couldn't adopt to students. They couldn't adopt to people who are away from home for more than four hours, which I was occasionally. So I bought a dog from a breeder and she was an awesome dog. We did agility. We did obedience. She lived with me in two countries and several states for 13 years. She died of old age in my arms. So, you know, that's how irresponsible a student I was. Mm-hmm. And that could have been a shelter dog's life, right. but they didn't go beyond like, are you, you're a student. They didn't find out that I'd been training horses for 12 years, that I'd always had dogs, that I was really into animals. They just, they just said no. You're clearly impulsive and irresponsible because you're a student. So that's all we need to know. We can't possibly, can you drink any louder Doberman? We can't possibly adopt to a student. But I started feeling guilty having this beautiful purebred dog and, um, 
she was a Dalmatian and the early nineties came along and the Dalmatian movies came out and um, the vet said, Oh yeah, we're putting down Dalmatians at the shelter all the time. And I've just felt terrible. Like here I am with this beautiful purebred dog who's has a great life with me and there are Dalmatians that are being put down. So I started volunteering in shelters and that led to me apprenticing as a trainer because the horse training stuff kind of, I, I trained and showed horses as a, as a teenager and into my twenties. And a, a lot of that stuff translates really well to dogs. So I, I apprenticed as a trainer and kept volunteering in shelters and kind of caught the bug. I went back to school, got a master's degree. Well, I had to take a lot of other undergrad courses because the fine arts courses don't really translate. And then I went back to school to get my master's degree in animal behavior and um, ended up getting a job with the ASPCA after that. So I got really deep into sheltering and uh, I left the ASPCA about six years ago and I've been seven years ago and I've been running my own business since then. So I do shelter consulting. I do dog, um, cat and horse behavior consulting. I have a little farm in North Carolina called Pibble Hill and I have 19 animals now on the farm of five different species. So that's kind of my life. I'm surrounded by animals all the time. I have uh, translated my business to mostly online work during COVID. So anyone in the world can do behavior consulting with me now. I set up this interview with you because of work you're doing with KC Pet Project. And uh, I was referred to your website to set up the interview. And it couldn't be easier. You select the kind of animal that you're wanting to do a consult about and you can leave some notes for you and person doesn't have to go to North Carolina. They yeah, have access you even, to you with, uh, without even getting in their car. Yeah. You don't even have to talk to me. You don't have to catch me on the phone. You can actually set up your own appointment. So, so um, there will be a link to your website in the description for this episode. People can check you out and retain your services if they'd like, but certainly learn more about you. So if someone is walking out of a shelter with a dog, they're either taking it home as a new member of their family, taking it to its forever home, or they're fostering it to help it get more adoptable. What should those first few days, first few weeks be focused on in training that dog? Yeah, this is something I'm super passionate about as if you want to become a trainer, one of the best ways is to foster dogs because... When I did my apprenticeship, it was two years and I fostered 24 dogs in 24 months. And boy, oh boy, did I, you know, I've, I've got a lot of formal education. I've been to conferences. I've worked with the best in the world. But the, the beings I have learned most from are my foster animals from the shelter or working with shelter animals. It's just such a wonderful way to learn more about behavior. So I have, I lost count at about a hundred and that was a lot of years ago. I've, I've fostered lots and lots and lots of animals, um, dogs and cats. And one thing to remember is they're, they're all individuals. So I, I see on the internet, there's people who are just like, you must do a two week shutdown when you bring a dog home, you've got to lock them in the crate and only take them out to, uh, don't let, don't, don't introduce them to your animals, put them on a strict schedule, take them out to potty, put them back in the crate. And, you know, that's the right thing for some dogs, but it's not the right thing for every dog. I, I brought two dogs home from a shelter in Cleveland that I did some consulting work for. I just took my two best playgroup dogs. I'm like, you two are coming to North Carolina with me and I'm going to find two homes. And because I had known these dogs well in the shelter, I knew they were amazing with other dogs. I had both of them introduced to all 
how many animals? I think I had four dogs of my own at the time. I had them introduced to everybody within 15 minutes. Like they were all <laughs> roaming around the yard because I knew my dogs were great with other dogs. I knew these dogs were great with other dogs. And I knew that uh, being able to play before they went to bed was going to really help with their stress. That's not the right thing for every dog. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it's important to have a playbook, but then respond to the context. How is this dog different? How is my environment different? Just as a coach has a playbook going into a game, but then they respond to the weather, the opponent, the surprises that take place, and you adapt. You don't just exactly. marry yourself there's, to the playbook. There's no cookie-cutter formula. So, you know, even with behavior problems, there's there's not one thing that works for every dog. And when I'm doing behavior consulting, I tell people, I'm going to give you the things that usually work, and if anything doesn't work, I want you to call me right away or text me and I will give you something else. Cause that's the advantage of working with an older trainer is we've mm-hmm. got lots of tools in the toolbox, lots of different things we can try. So the, some, some general rules that I have when I bring dogs home from the shelter is I pick up all the toys from the floor. I make sure there's no bones, no chewies, nothing that anyone can possibly argue over. I know that my personal dogs share their stuff well. But that's something that we often don't know about shelter dogs. So let's just take all the temptations up. The other thing I am pretty religious about is I separate everybody for feeding. And I've, I've seen trainers where they're all thrilled that every dog can be in a row with their bowl and nobody gets into anyone else's bowl. But I just feel like whoever's the slowest eater is going to have the fastest eater staring at them. And I feel like giving dogs some privacy around feeding time is really good for them. They can eat at their own speed. They don't have to be looking over their shoulder and a lot of fights happen over resources. So that's one thing that I'm pretty strict about. I do allow a lot of social interaction between the dogs, but I pick up all the toys and chewies until they show that they share well. And with this foster dog, you want ideally to have them crate trained before they go on to their new home. So if a dog sleeps in their crate and eats in their crate, then it becomes like their bedroom. It becomes a safe place. So if I really want to start to like the crate, I'll feed them in a feeding puzzle toy in the crate so that they'll be in there for longer having that wonderful experience of eating. And I love that you're creating that mindset because I know some people, and I've seen this, struggle with the crate training because they treat it like a prison cell or a timeout mm-hmm. corner that I have to condition the dog to accept this. And they're not thinking of it as punishment, but that's how they're treating it accept this punishment when I impose it instead of here's your safe place. Here's some place that you're going to want to go that you'll enjoy there and you're not suffering while you're there. And then they yeah. wonder why, why does my dog have separation anxiety when I try to get it to crate up? Yeah. I mean, if, if you only go in the crate when you're going to leave them alone and they're going to be sad and yodeling and, and biting at the crate the whole time. So when I'm crate training a dog, if they've never been in one before, I'll just leave the door open. Like if, if they've never been in a crate, I'm not going to make them eat in the crate. I'll put them in the bathroom or in mm-hmm. my bedroom bowl. But with crate training, what I'll do is throw some delicious treats. Like don't be stingy with the treats. Use the cheese, use the hot dogs, use the chicken. Make sure there's no other dogs around to compete for it. So I'll throw a piece of chicken in the crate and maybe just a nose length into the crate and the dog gets a piece of chicken and jumps out and then I'll throw one a little bit further and they get the chicken and jump out and throw one a little bit further. And then they're like, well, this is a magic treat dispensing box. So you'll find if you keep throwing treats in, the dog will think, well, why do I keep running out? And once the dog chooses to stay in the crate, you can shut the door, feed him a 
cookie through the door and then let them right back out. I got barking dogs in the background. Welcome to my life. And one thing that I like to do, I got this one from Dr. Ian Dunbar, who's an awesome um, dog behaviorist in Berkeley. I'll put a chewy or a delicious treat in the crate and sh- shut the dog out of the crate and make them sort of paw at the crate. Hey, mm-hmm. hey, hey, back in the chicken dispensing box. And like, oh, you want it in the crate? And then I open it and kind of make it like a magnet and they go, they go running in. So like telling your child, you cannot have any vegetables. No yeah. vegetables for you. A little bit of reverse psychology. Mm-hmm. Well, and uh, my youngest dog is the only one who spends time in the crate. She's only 18 months old and she's kind of naughty and she likes to get under fences and uh, eat things she shouldn't eat. So the old dogs are fine out of the crate when I'm not home. My goal is for the dog to be able to be loose in the house when I'm not home as a burglar deterrent. And just, it's nicer for them to walk around. But the youngest one's still in the crate, but boy, oh boy, if I just walk by the crate and look like I might want her to go in it, she goes zooming in there. Like, how about if you give me a Kong? Are you leaving? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can give me a Kong. So she just loves it in there. And if you, Teach your foster dogs or your, or your new adopted dog to love the crate. That being said, the crate is not right for every dog. There are dogs with not necessarily even separation anxiety, but it's almost like claustrophobia. There are dogs who have uh, confinement stress. So they're fine left in your bedroom loose, but they may not be fine put in a crate. So if you're adopting an older dog, I'm big into surveillance. <laughs> so when I first start uncrating the dog, if it's a young dog who's chewy and they're going to eat the cords under my desk, I'm absolutely going to leave them in a safe place. But there's alternatives. I have um, big sturdy baby gates that I can put in my kitchen that the dogs can't get over and I can close all the cupboards, clear off all the counters, make it pretty dog proof in there, give them a Kong. I, I never leave dogs without giving them something to do. So they do need to all be separated so that the fastest eater doesn't steal everybody else's. But I just went out to work with a client's dog and the dogs who got left here, they all got a chewy. So they had something to do while I was gone. They were separated so they can't steal one another's chewies and they don't care. They don't even walk down to the driveway when I'm driving off. They're all busy with their chewies. And that's what I want. I want the dogs to be fine with being left alone. Yeah. You're setting them up for success. You're doing the work when you talk about closing cupboards, clearing counters. That's your responsibility as a dog owner not to come home and go, what has happened to my house? What have they done to my apartment? Well, you set them up for failure because you didn't clean up your space. That's on yeah. you as the dog owner. So what you're saying is take that responsibility, be a good owner. Yeah, with my young dog, when I do start leaving her out of the crate, I'm going to leave some surveillance on her. And now that everybody knows how to use Zoom, it's actually a great surveillance tool If you've left the dog in the kitchen, you can leave your laptop on top of the fridge somewhere they can't reach, just pointing down at the kitchen and start a Zoom conversation with yourself on your phone and just drive down the driveway, go to the corner store, come back and you can be watching on the phone and you can be like, oh, she can actually jump up on counters. (laughs) This is something I didn't know. Maybe she's not ready to be loose. So back to the crate you go. But if she just chills and eats her Kong and I watch her on surveillance and she's fine for 10 minutes while I run down to the corner store, then the next time I might leave her a little bit longer until she's able to be loose in the house as long as I need her to be loose in the house. So there are people who crate their dogs for their whole lives and that that's okay. But I kind of feel like as they get older, I've got two dogs with arthritis right now and I like them to have the choice of being able to get up on the furniture. Like I think choice is the biggest gift you can give your dog. Like if you think about 
all of the stresses in the dog's life. A lot of them are around not having choice. So for instance, I've got a doggy door behind me right now. I'm on a three and a half acre farm. They've got lots of room to run around and they have the choice of whether to be in or out. Not at night. I close the door because otherwise they'd be yelling at wildlife all night. But I think it's really great that they can decide if they want to lie on the porch in the sun. They can decide if they want to go see who's coming up the driveway. They can decide if they want to sleep on the furniture. And I think that reduces a lot of stress. And one of my dogs is really old and she does need to go to the bathroom more often. She doesn't have to come and find me and bark at me to go out. People point out that our dog Peaches is spoiled and she is deservedly so because among the many reasons they say that she's spoiled is that she has a bed, at least a soft place to lay in every room of the house. As she should. (laughs) And so she can go into a room where here's where the sun is, or here's where the air conditioning vent is that is close to a bed. Here's a quieter part of the house. Here's the part of the house where she can be up on the couch and watch deer so that when she's alone, like you said, she has choices And she utilizes those choices even when she's not alone, that she doesn't need us, that I'm going to go lay on the couch and stare out the window. Yeah, I mean, why have a dog if you're not going to spoil them? Like, I'm not that kind of trainer who's like, dogs have to be in a downstay on the hard floor and they don't get to to have any fun. I love watching my dogs have fun. I love watching them play together. I love watching them pile up on the couch at night. They have a, a pretty great life. And uh, that, that doesn't mean your new shelter dog needs to be up on the counters eating food and doing everything they want to. They do need some structure. They do need to understand some rules. The crate is a great tool. I'll, I'll often also use a drag line on a dog. So I brought home a foster Doberman once who decided that I wasn't allowed on the furniture and she was going to growl at me when I came near her when she was on the couch. And that dog promptly lost her couch privileges. Like you, you cannot yell at the trainer about her own furniture. Mm-hmm. So I had the drag line on her and every time she got on the couch, I would just pick up the end of the line and walk away. So she wasn't even sure it was me that was making her come off the couch. But every time she got on the couch, the line would help her come off the couch. I ended up adopting her myself. I love Dobermans. And we developed a relationship. And once she knew to hop off the couch, when I say off, she was allowed her furniture privileges again. And I had her 10 more years. And it was just the first few months that she was like, my couch, you can't have it. <laughs> so everybody else is allowed on the couch, but the dog who growls at me was not. They're smart enough. They'll learn. Don't just accept that I have this dog that's a problem dog. No, you have a problem, not a problem dog. You have a problem and there's a solution. Yeah, yeah. So when I have puppies here, for example, I don't allow other people's puppies on my furniture because that's where the old dogs have their safe space. So if you're bringing home a dog that your personal dog finds annoying, like use your crates, use your baby gates, give your dogs some safe places. If you have a smaller dog, you can get those baby gates with a hole in it so that the smaller dog wants to run in the bedroom and the big foster dog can't pursue them, that can be good. I think they do need breaks. Like my older dogs, they have arthritis. If I've got a puppy visiting, I just take the puppy off the couch every time they try to get on the couch. And and it's fine to have different rules for different dogs. Puppies don't sit around going, well, my sibling gets a bigger allowance than I do, and this is a problem. They're just like, well, this is the rule for me. Yes, there's a certain amount of uh, we're in the moment, and we just accept this and we're 
than going to be in the next moment. They're not living in the past. They're not comparing themselves to others. Most of the stress they have is what we impose on them. Yeah. So, but I do think that they need training. Like I think it's really good for dogs to understand that our words have meanings and I'm a positive reinforcement trainer. So what I want the dog to understand is that I'm a magician. I can make good stuff happen anytime. I can pull cookies out of the air. I've got cookies in my pocket right now. And it's always in your best interest to do as I ask. That, that being said, there needs to be a teaching process. Like dogs aren't born understanding English. They don't know that sit means sit. They don't know that down means down. They certainly don't know anything about state. But if you go through a teaching process and teach them each of these words very clearly and then teach them in different places, one thing to remember about dogs is they suck at generalizing things. Like if they looked at a human child who learns algebra in a classroom and then goes to the gymnasium and takes the exam, they would be like, wow, you're in a new room and you still know (laughs) those rules because dogs, I'm sure this has happened to you. My first dog, that that Dalmatian, I thought I was going to do really well in class. You couldn't go to class till the dog was six months old at the time because it was the early nineties and there was choke chains and there have to be big enough for their neck to take a choke chain correction, which, you know, that has changed a lot. We, We now have early puppy education, which is much nicer, but I had this dog. She would sit and lie down and shake and roll over and knew all of these tricks at home in my kitchen with no other dogs around. And I went into class like horse trainer that I am going, I am going blow these guys away with how great my dog is. She's going to be the best dog in the class. And I go to the class and A, there's no cookies because we weren't allowed cookies back then. B, she's got a choke chain on. She's going to yanked when she doesn't listen to me, which by the way, I don't do that anymore. I don't think anybody needs to do that anymore. And um, see, there were other dogs around and she didn't know there were other dogs in the world. She knew that our neighbor's Labrador, but that was the only dog she'd met in the last six months. Just the two of them. She's suddenly in the room with nine other dogs. So she spent the entire class yodeling and trying to climb me like a tree. And I almost didn't go back to class. I was so embarrassed because she knew this stuff in the kitchen with a cookie with no dogs around, but in a new place, it it all went out the window. So when you've got your dog trained in the kitchen, that's fine to teach them the words in the kitchen, then work with them in the living room, work with them in the backyard, work with them in the front yard, take them to the hardware store if you're allowed to, work with them in the parking lot, work with them in the garden center, work with them in the store, work with them up close to the cash register. They need to try a new cue in at least seven different locations before they really start to generalize it. It's it's one of those things dogs just aren't good at. And it's an opportunity for you to hone your skills as a dog owner and in the case of our listeners as amateur dog (laughs) trainers and, and not always have the crutch of being in your kitchen with no audience, no distractions. Yeah, and, and once the dog knows a few things, even if it's just sit down, and I, I strongly advise teaching shake a paw because then they've got something interactive they can do with new adopters. I love putting an adopt me vest on the dog, take them out to the hardware store, and just walk them around because there are people who go to the hardware store who will never set foot in a shelter. Those of you who volunteer in shelters, I am sure you have a friend or a relative who said to me, Oh my God, I can't believe you go to that place every week. It must be so depressing. I just want to take all of them home. I I don't think I could ever go to a shelter. But if you're in the hardware store, that person may be in the hardware store and they may see your foster dog and completely fall for them and they don't have to go to a shelter. Like it really opens up 
with COVID, with so many dogs in foster care, I think a lot of people are being exposed to how awesome a lot of shelter dogs are because we as fosterers are taking them out and throwing them stuff. So, so teach them a few tricks. There's a, there's a wonderful YouTube channel. If you want to learn how to train dogs, it's called Kiko Pup. I get no kickbacks from them. I just send clients there all the time. It's a trainer named Emily Larlam who has hundreds of videos on how to teach everything. Sit, down, stay, and every dog trick you can think of. She's got a dog who can write her own name with a magic marker on a piece of paper. <laughs> That's how, how good a trainer she is. I have trouble doing that. So I will link Kiko Pup in the yeah. description as well. And when you talk about taking your dog to the hardware store, anywhere we take peaches... If someone says, can I pet your dog, or that's a beautiful dog, or what's her name, our response is always, or we try to always respond with, this is Peaches, we got her at Casey Pet Project. Whatever other information they get about Peaches, however long the conversation is, we want to make sure they learn at least one thing, which is, this dog that you're admiring came from a shelter. Exactly. It's a great place to do shelter PR. I have a pit bull from a dog fighting bust and I was out doing pit bull PR with him earlier today. We went to the store and he's beautiful and he's very friendly. So people want to beat him and talk to him and I make sure they know that he's an ASPCA rescue from a dog fighting bust and their heads just explode. There. Yeah, and that, that's oftentimes the second thing we say if they haven't already asked if she's a pit bull is that we say she's an American pit bull mix because when she's not smiling or flexing, she doesn't look as pity as the uh, stereotypical pit. And yeah. there'll be even people admiring her, petting her, and then she'll do the grin and they kind of step back. Is this a pit bull? Yes, this <laughs> beautiful dog is a pit bull. This sweet, sweet old girl is a pit bull. Yeah, it's a great place to. But that, that being said, I think we need to. Um, take into account the concept of consent. So I always reinforce people for asking, like, thank you for mm-hmm. asking. Yes, we do that. Not all of my dogs love being petted. So the Doberman I have right now, she's like me. She's a bit of an introvert. <laughs> she's like not um, super into having strangers put their hands all over her. So if I have her in a store, I'll usually have the pit bull too. I'll be like, you can pet the brown dog, but not the black dog. And, um, One phrase that I found helpful, if you've got a shyer dog, it is your duty to keep that dog safe. Like Mm -hmm. sometimes, oh, we got to socialize, we got to shove them in front of everybody and make sure that they get petted. And if the dog is cringing away, that's not doing shelter dogs any good. It's not doing your dog any good. And they're losing faith in you. So you need to be their protectors. It's not that you shouldn't take them places. But what I'll often do is I'll put like a brightly colored rough wear harness on it, sometimes with a uh, backpacky looking harness, people will assume it's a service dog in training. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying fake it, but um, if you've got a brightly colored uh, harness, I, I really like the rough wear front range ones because they, they look very official. If I have a fearful dog, I'll put a brightly colored harness on. And if somebody wants to pet my Doberman and she clearly, she will be sitting at the line up at the cab, deliberately looking away from everybody. Like, I don't see you. Please don't look at me. And she's beautiful. Everybody wants mm-hmm. to touch myself between her and somebody who wants to touch her and hold out my hand in a stop sign gesture they'll ask can I pet your doberman and I'll say she would rather not and they can't argue with that because if you say she's shy then they'll get down and be like that's not helping her now she's learning that she can't trust me to keep her safe so I just put her behind me 
she would rather not. And they can't argue with that because she's my dog. I know she would rather not interact with people. The occasional person she'll sort of nudge towards and I'll let her say hi if, if she chooses to. Yeah, it's her decision. Yeah. What you talked about earlier, give the dog choices. Yeah, and I think that's where a lot of us get into trouble with our new dogs because they might not be like our old dogs. If you've only ever had squishy, easy dogs who love everybody and you've suddenly got a, a new foster dog who's a little fearful, it can be hard to understand that sometimes when the dog rolls upside down, for example, they're actually saying, stop it. They're giving you a cutoff signal, not saying, I want a belly rub. And if you've never met a dog who does that tap out, and typically it'll be stiffer, they'll be looking away from you, their tail will be tucked. Mm-hmm. There are dogs who roll upside down who are inviting interaction, but yeah, they're you can all- see by their tail and their head that what they want. Yeah, so I look at, you know, how soft and wiggly they are. So if I want to interact with a fearful dog, what I do is I let the dog approach me. I'll give him a little scratch on the chest or under the collar, just two or three seconds, and then I'll stop. And I'll see if the dog wants more. And sometimes they'll go, okay, I approached you. I got the little scratch. That was enough. That's enough information. And I'm going to walk away. I don't jam my hand in their face. I wish people would stop doing that. That's not a, not a great way to meet a new dog. You want to invite the dog in. If they come up to you, do a little scratch in a place that they might be itchy and not more than two or three seconds. And then take your hand away and see if they ask for more. And if they shake off and say, that was all I needed from you, then respect what that dog says. Because that's where we get into trouble with dogs is when we push them. People think they're doing the dog a favor, that they're bringing it out of a shell or every dog loves, like you said, every dog loves belly rubs or, or my dog loves it when I scratch it behind the ears. Let's see what I'm doing here. I'm scratching you behind the ears. Not all dogs love that. Not all dogs like to be touched. Treat them as individuals. Which goes back to what you're saying earlier with training a new dog in your home. There's a playbook, but treat each dog is unique. When I was a kid, kids didn't really have a lot of rights. Like adults thought that if they wanted to tickle a kid or pick a kid up or do it, pinch their cheeks, they were totally allowed to do that. And I remember as a shy, introverted child meeting relatives that I saw maybe once a year, and my parents would be shoving me towards them. Mm-hmm. Go say hi to Auntie Irene. And I didn't know her that well, and I was fearful. And, um, you know, back in the 70s, you could you could um, make your kids greet people even if they didn't want to. But now consent is a thing. And I would love to see the day where dogs have the same power to consent or not consent. Because I think a lot of us think of dogs as sort of these stuffed animals that are fluffy. And if we feel like putting our hands on them, we should be able to put our hands on them regardless of how that individual feels. And I've seen people doing exactly the same things to their dogs as, as was done to me as a shy child, where they're dragging them up from behind them with the leash and saying, sure, you can pet them. And the dog, everything about the dog is saying, I would rather not. And that actually makes them worse. It makes them mm-hmm. lose faith as their protector. And they will actually become more friendly if you give them the choice. Yeah, just like forcing them into a kennel is not exactly. how you get them to like their kennel. Exactly. I'm I'm all about making things fun. I'm all about, uh, you know, you thought the kennel was a scary place, but it's actually a chicken dispensing thing. And you thought that the new person was scary, but they're not going to force themselves on you. And hey, look, they've got a ball. And hey, you can interact with them if you choose to. I have a number of fearful dogs on my roster right now who come out to the farm and I will coerce friends into coming over and we'll just sit on chairs uh, six feet apart in the pasture 
And if the dog chooses to interact, they, they'll get a little scratch and then they can walk away. But the thing that's really powerful is my personal dogs are super friendly with new people, except for the Doberman, but she is super friendly with her people. And when a friend comes over and sits down and all four of my dogs go over and go, hi, 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 nice to see you. This is great. The new dog, the foster dog or the client dog will see, oh, the other dogs say this person's cool. Maybe the person is cool. And they yeah, what will- am I missing? Yeah, it's so funny. Like, they will not trust me if I say, hey, the person's cool. They're like, no, people have shoved me in other people's faces and I don't really trust I've been burned. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But dogs won't burn you. Like, dogs are so honest. And if my dogs are jumping all over the person and because they're very polite dog trainers, dogs, giving them kisses, then the fearful dog, I watch the little wheels turning. They're like, oh, maybe this person's not so bad. And I'll bring the same person over, sit them in the same chair day after day after day, and eventually they'll get in the club. And often with these fearful dogs, if you get one person in the club and two people in the club, at a certain point, they forget who's in the club and who's not. And at the very least, the warm-up time will, will get faster. And best case scenario, um, my barkiest dog right now, she's gone deaf now. She's 13 and a half. She was very fearful. She's a Puerto Rican street dog. And when I first met her, she was hiding and spooky barking at me. It took her a long time to warm up to new people. But if you met her today at age 13 and a half, you would never guess she'd ever had a problem. She's met so many people and only good things have happened. And I've made it her choice all along. And she presents as a perfectly normal dog now. But uh, it was a long time coming and it was work. And I and I kept her safe. I got more and more and more people into her club, which was great. I worked in a dog-friendly office, so it was pretty easy to do. And I remember the first day she ran up to somebody at a farmer's market and went to the end of her leash and actually jumped on someone. And I almost burst into tears, like she's a dog trainer, so she shouldn't be jumping on people. But for my fearful Sato to be jumping on a new person, I was like, oh, you forgot who's in the club and who's not. And you just assume there's a person looking at me. They must breakthrough. It was so cool. Those breakthroughs just give me goosebumps. And, you know, it was was probably a year later. It wasn't like overnight with her, but. uh, And I think that's key. Yeah, you're, you're, you're not going to take five minutes and just open a dog's eyes to this is the way the world works and accept it. Some things yeah. they'll learn in five minutes. Maybe you're a dog that learns how to sit almost immediately, but you're not going to change a dog's personality overnight. You have to be patient and it's so worth it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really cool. Like that's my favorite thing with foster dogs. Like you can tell the ones who've never been in a house before, like you flush the toilet and they jump. Like, what is that mm-hmm. sound? They're on the TV and they're looking at it. Like, I've never seen one of those before. But watching them sort of relax, become dogs, learn what furniture is, learn about feeding time. I just love, love, love watching dogs come out of their shell. It's, it just gives me goosebumps every time. For our foster listeners, that's some great strategies to use to make a dog more adoptable, again, to set it up for success, and for anyone looking to bring a dog into their home, whether it's the first dog you've ever adopted or a long-time dog owner recognizing that each dog is unique. These are very useful strategies that, again, will set you up for success. If you have more questions or would like to retain the services of Trish McMillan, Go to her website. Again, that link will be in the description for this episode. Any final thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners, Trish? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm just so glad that so many people have stepped up during this pandemic to take on foster dogs who are helping out KC Pets. It's a great shelter. I have been there. I actually worked the dog fighting case in your city and we borrowed pets from you to help teach the uh, the dogs how to play. So um, I love your shelter. I love what you're doing. And I, I absolutely love people who step up and volunteer for shelter pets and, and help them find their new homes. And regardless of what happens with pandemic protocols, KC Pet Project and pretty much any shelter can always use volunteers and can definitely use fosters. If you're interested in fostering, want to learn more about fostering, contact KC Pet Project or your local shelter. Trish, thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you for inviting me. Always happy to talk about shelter dogs. I'm Phil Hatterman, and you've been listening to Dog Words, presented by Rosie Fund. Thank you to Trish McMillan for joining us today. The description for this episode includes links for trishmcmillan.com and the Facebook pages for Pibble Hill and Pibbling with Theodore. There's also a link to the Kiko Pup YouTube channel. Remember to support Rosie Fund by subscribing to the free Rosie Fund YouTube channel, and be sure to comment on the videos. This feeds the algorithm for search engines. Join us next time on Dog Words with our guest massage therapist Liz Jeans from A Dog's Touch Massage and Stateline Animal Hospital and Holistic Health. A big thank you to alternative string duo The Wires featuring cellist Sasha Groshong and violinist Laurel Morgan Parks for playing the wonderful music you've heard on today's and previous episodes of Dog Words. Learn more about The Wires at thewires.info and download their music on iTunes. Also, check out FiddleLife.com and learn to play fiddle and cello fiddle online from Laurel and Sasha, even if you've never played before. Remember, if you live in the Kansas City area and would like to host a small and socially distant outdoor concert in your backyard or on your porch, please contact The Wires at thewiresduo at gmail.com. As always, please download, subscribe, rate, and share. Please share dog words. This helps us with sponsorships. Then Rosie Fund can help more dogs. Send us your comments, questions, and suggestions, including ideas for guests, at rosiefund.org. And let us know if you would like to be a sponsor of the Dog Words Podcast. Thank you for listening, and remember, we save each other. 